I'd like to maybe revisit just a little bit and then, you know, try to expand on what I started at my birthday. Uh, I've been asked to, and of course, you know, the, uh, the weather stopped me short. <laughs> and uh, enough said about that, huh? <laughs> Amen. Um, Father, thank you. We just are grateful for your grace in our lives. We're thankful for the word that is contained and and put so we can read it and uh, really discover the things of you more clearly. Just uh, bless and bless the people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give me some verses up there. What I refer to as the undeniable witness. The undeniable witness. We, the scripture says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show his handiwork. Day on to day utters speech. Night on to night reveals knowledge, and there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Isaiah 40. Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these things, and who brings out the host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is, is missing. Psalms chapter 8, verse 3 says, When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have established. He says, what is man? That you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Then Genesis chapter 2, because this is the core of our message, is is tending your garden. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. You're familiar with this passage of Scripture, so we're just pulling out a couple The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had had formed. It shows us here that the heavens are like a big billboard that declare the majesty of God and power of God, the detail of God. It points us to God, his awesomeness and and how he has a range things and uh, in the creation story we at least that I've observed in my time that we we read the creation story and then we see the fall of man and then but yet miss The intent in the heart of God 
before sin started to interfere and ruin things. What, what you believe about God is going to dramatically affect your, li- affect your life. How you perceive and how you see God and how that you interpret life is going to, you know, make you a truster you know, or a doubter. A young pastor on a college campus was setting up a facility to hold some services. And just so happened to be that where he was holding, or where he was setting this up, there was a young girl kind of sitting in the dark, and and, uh, she said to him, she said, "I, I hope you don't mind that I'm here, but I don't believe in God. And so the young pastor said, as he sat down beside her, well, would you tell me about this God you don't believe in? And so, because he said, maybe I don't believe in him either. And so as the little girl went through her perception, you know, and, and her interpretation of God and, and how that he seemed like a God that just would sit on his hands and does nothing about the pain in the world and, you know, uh, uh, just seems to, you know, uh, not involve himself. Seems like that. You know, his judgments, they're just about killing people and not giving them life. And, of course, the young pastor said, you know, he said, I don't believe in that kind of God either. But let me tell you about the God I believe in. Let me tell you about the God that is a God of music. God of beauty, God of patience, God of tender mercies, God of things that are alive and that everything that has to do with good is from him. A God that has love and forgiveness. A God that is a God of hope. A God that has went ahead and made and invented all the world around us. The heavens, the stars, the moon. He's the one that is the binder up of broken hearts. And he's the God of second chances. And he's the one who did something about the bad stuff that's happening, that happens. He's the God that gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God's got a 
gotten bad press from the beginning. Satan has engaged in an aggressive slander campaign against God. In the beginning, he suggested that God was withholding something good by forbidding the eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Try to convince them that God is opposed to your enjoyment of life and in life. Tries to make you believe that following God, that's it's boredom. It's gloomy. When in reality, the creation of God before sin entered is quite the opposite and reveals really what was at the heart of God. The amazingness of the planet that God created and the majesty of it and the precision of it, it's all of a testimony to a good God, a great God. A God who was trying to make just the right home for his children. The scientists have discovered that there's at least 200 conditions that must exist and be in place just in their right dynamic for life to even exist here on this planet. They're looking for life everywhere. And I just read the other day that they discovered that, uh, you know, maybe the conditions are not right for life on Mars. But this, this earth, this creation is unique. It's, it's, it's got a perfect environment for life among all of the galaxies. The garden, a garden that God planted specifically for, for Adam and for Eve. A place that uh, they could find not only dignity and honor and meaning in life, but find fellowship with the creator, the almighty God. Amazing. In that garden. A garden that there was no sin, no insecurity, no mixed emotions, no comparing and no hypocrisy. It's in the book. Before sin entered. He planted a personalized garden. And he placed man in that garden. And it was a garden of life. A garden of life. A garden of hope. A garden of where God put that which was pleasant to the eyes and was good to the taste. How many like to eat? Aren't you glad that God said, I, 
made things so it's good for the taste. It was pleasant to the eyes. Now, you know, we've spent most of our time looking at life and the world, you know, because sin has went ahead and did a spoiling job. But in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis 2, we see a garden, you know, in its beauty and its wholeness and the intent of God's heart. And then we turn to Revelation as the last two chapters and we see the restoration of the same type of garden. And there's a big long span in between. But yet the heart and the intent of God. Not to make life miserable. Not at all. But to make life for you and I that we could have abundant. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And that's how he started it out. That's how he ends it. So Adam was placed in this this garden and he was entrusted with with great responsibility. There's a classic story that I read to you at our, at our uh, celebration, and I want to read it again because it kind of lays the foundation, the groundwork of, of the story between the farmer and the preacher. The story goes that a preacher was driving down a country road and came upon the most beautiful farm he'd ever seen in his lifetime and all the time of traveling those rural roads. It was so beautiful that he just could compare it to a painting and it wasn't a new farm. The house and the buildings were well constructed in perfect repair and paint and the garden around the house was filled with flowers and shrubs and fine row of trees on each side of the white gravel drive and the fields were beautifully tilled and the fine herd of fat dairy cattle grazed knee deep in the pastures. The sight was arresting to the preacher, so arresting that he stopped to drink it all in, and because he himself had been raised on a farm, and he knew a good one when he saw it. It was then that he noticed the farmer on the tractor. He was hard at work, and approaching the place where the preacher stood beside his car because he was driving his tractor. As he got closer, he stopped the tractor, idled it down the engine, and then shouted, friendly hello. The preacher said to him, my good man, God has certainly blessed you with a magnificent farm. And then there was a pause as the farmer took off his cap and shifted in the tractor seat to take a look at his pride and joy. He then looked at the preacher and said, yes, he has, and we're grateful. But you should have seen this place when God had it all to himself. (laughs) God has, he needs garden tenders. And the garden is your life. That part that God has given you, the arena where you have authority and influence, 
And you are a caretaker in that garden of life. Well, the preacher looked at the strong, friendly farmer for a moment, and he smiled and said goodbye, climbed in his car, and he thought, you know, I've got a good sermon for next Sunday. And this was his thoughts as he's going along. Every farmer along this road and in this country has been blessed with land and pretty much the same opportunities. Each has worked his farm according to his nature. Every farm, every home of every family in the country is the living reflection of the people who dwell in it. He understood that the land we're giving was not the acres we buy or the lot in which we build or buy our home, but rather the life we give it. And what we do with what we have. Our lives are plots of ground, and that's the land that we sow, and from which we then gratefully reap the resulting harvest. And the way we've sown will be reflected in every department of our lives. He knew that it was not just what is giving us, given us that makes the difference but rather what we do with what we have been given and what we make of what we have. Each of us is a farmer. Our lives are plots of ground that have been given to us free and clear. If we're wise, we too will reap the abundant harvest for the planting is left strictly to to us. I had the privilege and the uh, joy of going to Tom and Teresa's place. And it's just up the road a little bit here with a well refurbished home and barns and, you know, quite a few of them. And then you know, some amazing horses. And I just use this as a point of reference. And Tom was telling me that when they moved from New York to there, you should have seen the place. It probably should have been torn down rather than, you know, effort put into it. But nevertheless, they went ahead and left the structure of it and begin to change the whole dynamics of it. And you see their place now, it's absolutely beautiful because they've invested and they've taken what was given to them and made a difference in it and representative of, of hard work and tending a garden. Life is not just your spiritual life, it's your total life. Now, does your spiritual life, you know, need to have some real precedence? Absolutely. But 
But this garden reveals more than the fall. It reveals that God, a God that creates for beauty, a God that started out that there would be no deficiencies. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, but the thief comes that he might steal, kill, and destroy. Know that. So there is a thief. We'll look at some of those things that spoil our garden. But one point I want to make to you this morning is the phrase that says, he comes to kill. The word kill there means to literally give it up. The only way that the enemy can kill what has been given to you is if you give it up. If you give it up. If you just crash with regarding that vision and that hope, that anticipation. So I would encourage you today. There might be a lot going on. And while the the difficulty of keeping your garden has increased dramatically since sin has went ahead and found a, a threshold and an opportunity. It's still not impossible to make a beautiful garden from life. And you can run down so many pathways with that. But this God was so interested in humanity and in in, in mankind that he gives them a riverside home. That's right. God planted a garden, and in that garden, he planted all these trees, and he caused a river to run. I mean, it's the first lakeside, folks. (laughs) Yeah. First lakeside. It's not stingy. A corner lot with a water view. And yet in all of that beauty and all of that wonder, the beauty and the wonder and the provision, you know, and the care was not the ultimate of his purpose. For making it all. It was his presence. 
He made the garden. He made it so that Adam could have the presence of God. See, he had provision, he had promise, and he had protection. All of that. That's what life, you know, in the natural realm can bring around you. But it can't bring the presence. And yet that's the ultimate reason for your gardens. Is that you can fellowship and you can spend time and recognize you know, the garden creator. The psalmist, you know, just very urgently says, you know, you need to spend a little more time looking at the creator through creation. Now, of course, we know we got those that worship the creation. But the detail of how creation works and the faithfulness of creation in its operation and function is a direct indicator of this great faithfulness of our God. It is. The sun rises and sets. The moon comes out. The stars light the way. When I consider the work of your hands and the details of your fingers, hmm. the garden speaks of God's. Realization and, you know, planning for humanity's need. He knows you've got a need. And the garden speaks to that. God's aware of your needs. And the scripture says that he supplies it according to his riches in Glory. My. My garden has increased through the years. And along with the increase of your garden, so comes the responsibility. Learning how to care. Learning how to nurture. Learning how to, to weed and seed. Yeah. 
I want you to just take a moment and run down the list of your garden in your own mind. The practicality of it, the realness of it. Your garden, your life. Your relationship, because the garden speaks to relationship. God went ahead and tuned us for relationship. He really did. In the midst of everything and all the provision and all the promises and all the protection that he had, he goes, he looks, you know, there's a lot of things in your garden, but you don't relate very well to a lot of those. You enjoy them, but you need relationship. So I want to just point out that your relationships are important. They're vital. It's part of your garden. And he's always trying to, you know, steal or kill or do something to the relationship to break it down. Your family relationship, your wife, your husband, your children. Your children's children, and it just can just keep going. <coughs> I remember when God gave me the opportunity. That's really what it was. It was an opportunity to to be caretaker of this garden. 39 years now. But there, they had caretakers, and then all of a sudden the caretakers decided that they're going to retire, and they didn't want to care, take care of the garden anymore, and so there was no caretaker. There was still the garden. And God just let me look at the garden and see that, you know what will happen? with a garden without a caretaker. And I couldn't let the garden be without a caretaker. Now, mind you, that wasn't that, you know, there wasn't good people in oversight, etc., you know. But someone that would, you know, take it as their own and tend it and not only... Give God their heart, but give God their hands. Because gardens take your hands. Gardens are not only the handiwork of God, but they're also the handiwork of you and I.
So I moved in just because I recognized that the garden needed a caretaker. And from that, of course, you know, this, this church really has, from that little small group to small work, and we're by no means the size of many, but we're not bad for where we are. <laughs> but the tending and the, the care and the work, you know, and the, the, the seasons that, that would come and go, and yet, you know, it seemed like that, you know, it wasn't yet harvest time and fruit time, and you never stop. You never stop tending your garden. And God doesn't either. God doesn't ever stop tending and attending to, you know, his garden. It's consistent. It's there all the time. He doesn't whine and complain about that somehow, you know what I mean, there was an interruption in the garden. He goes ahead and says, you know, then I'm just going to have to work a little harder in the garden. There's some things coming up that, you know what I mean, I didn't put there, but, you know what I mean, I'm just not going to ignore them and just let them grow without some kind of, you know, hands-on. We've all been given a garden. It's our life. And it takes on things as life goes on. I said a little bit ago, if you spend some time, you know, checking through your garden, I don't know all the details, but I can go. I can. I can pretty much say, "Oh, what a beautiful garden you got!" Really? I mean, I'm the outlooker. I'm the. I, I'm the. I'm the pastor that's went ahead and traveled down the road, and and I've seen. I've seen your farm, or I've seen your garden. I go. Yeah, maybe when you got it, it wasn't the best, but between you and God, it's got a lot in your garden. I know this is simple right now, but you got a lot in your garden. And here's what it says. It says that God planted a garden. You know what I mean? And it says that that, that he did not, there were, before... He made, he, before there was a tender, he said, I can't put anything in the garden. Genesis chapter 2. Before any plant was filled. See, 
Chapter one, uh, chapters one, you know, is just a, a, a broad view. Chapter two, you know what I mean? All of a sudden gets to be a very close-up view. As soon as God found a caretaker and made a caretaker, he went ahead and was able to f- put something in the garden. Because life has to have a caretaker. He that is faithful in little is faithful in much. How important is that, Pastor? Well, let, let's let me just use me, my wife. We don't always have good days. <laughs> if you ask us at that particular day, it's not a good day. <laughs> we can look and see what's missing in our garden. Fact is, that's what the devil does. Here is Adam and Eve in a garden that has trees that are fruitful and plentiful and water that is flowing and food that tastes good and supply is everywhere. Protection is theirs. And the enemy gets them to see the one thing that seemingly God has not permitted them to have. So on those days that, it was generally my wife that, you know. (laughs) I'm a preacher, I mean, you know. (laughs) We're going to have another one of those days. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. I hear (laughs) you. Surrounded. By multiple fruit trees, he got Eve to focus on the one thing she didn't have. The one thing she didn't have. Isn't that the way he does it? There's some real reasons why there are sometimes restrictions in our lives and delays in our lives is because in the scripture there is, we have what is known as the law of boundaries. The law of boundaries. Boundaries are not to limit us or to spoil our fun, but they are there rather to protect us. Just protect us. Why shouldn't you have that tree? It's not what you think it is. 
It looks good. It's appealing. But what it will do when it comes into your life. So those the law of boundaries. So on my bad day, our bad days, it's time to, this thing has not, whoa, it didn't work. I got a watch that's got a shaker on it for me. So I would quit in time. It didn't work. It didn't work. I probably don't know how to use it yet. That's, you know what I mean? God, God gives us something and we still don't know how to use it, you know? Oh. Ask my musicians to come. How can you enhance your garden? I'm not going to go into all the spoilers of the garden because I just don't have time. But but you can increase your garden with gratitude. Gratitude. And everything give thanks. Nothing will, let me rephrase that. One of the things that will mess your garden up really fast is unthankfulness. Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that it was not really being able to see their garden and be thankful. When I get a little bit despondent regarding my larger garden, I come back home to my smaller garden that's what I do I go I got a wife that loves God that is the strength of my life and that you know it's amazing I've got two kids that are here and help service in the church and I got grandkids that you know, already they're evangelizing wherever they're at, you know, just in the child's way. And then as my wife said this morning, to have a, a body that on, on that birthday... Seriously, this is not, it's, it was absolutely the, the best birthday that I've ever had. And all because you guys loved me so. Yep. All because, you know what I mean? Yeah, there might be some things missing. There's some things that you still want. But let's come back home. Stand with me. To the garden that God has given us.
And maybe this morning, your garden's in disrepair. Maybe it needs some care. Here's what the original gardener says in Isaiah chapter 55, what he will do for gardens. He says, if your garden is full of thistles, he says, I'll go ahead and I'll work on it and they'll change it and all of a sudden some amazing trees are going to start to grow. He says in Isaiah, he says, if, you're, if your ground is sandy, he said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to turn it into something that's well watered. We all started out that way. God turns it around. God takes that which is, you know, wasn't being fruitful. If we get the presence in our garden, it will change the soil that is not conducive. It just from my heart. We're surrounded, you know, with beautiful gardens. Amen. Father, as we leave the house this morning and we go to our respective gardens and places, help us to take a fresh look. God, and help us not to see what it doesn't have, but help us to see what it does have. And Lord, I pray, just as your intent in the beginning before sin began to interrupt things, Sin is not leaving right now, but we're thankful that you said that greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And so those things, it's possible to be able to overcome them in the garden that you've given to us. We bless every garden with fruitfulness, God, with the blessing of the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, love one another, go with God, he'll go with you.